Welcome to Radio Film School Shortens. These are mini documentary episodes about all things cinema to hold you over until the next episode of the main series, A Filmmaker's Journey. If you want to know the origin of the term shortens, check the website. Enjoy. I released an early beta version of the Napster software during the summer and it spread quickly by word of mouth. It hasn't stopped growing since. Just, you know, wanted to create a way to meet people through music. Music will be ubiquitous and we believe, you know, you'll be able to get it on your cell phone. You'll be able to get it on whatever the device of the future is. We knew it was a long way off from all the music being available digitally. And then there it was. I just felt like this was one of the great moments in human history. This is a clip from the 2013 VH1 documentary Downloaded, which recounts the rise and fall of Napster, co-founded by Sean Fanning and Sean Parker. It was huge. It was revolutionary. I'm talking about Napster, not the documentary. Although the documentary is very good. But anyway, Napster brought an entire multi-billion dollar industry to its knees. And it helped propel Sean Parker to international fame and fortune, despite all the lawsuits. Since the fall of Napster, Sean Parker is a man who has not once, not twice, but three times has disrupted society and injected himself into the popular zeitgeist. Perhaps most famously with his co-founding of Napster, then his involvement with Facebook as an investor and as first president, which was terrifically portrayed by Justin Timberlake and David Fincher's 2010 drama, The Social Network. Whether or not you believe any of that really happened doesn't matter. Then lightning struck again the third time with his support and involvement with bringing Spotify to the United States. Well, Sean is at it again. And this time, he has his sights set on the movie business. And this idea he has is called Screening Room. This is a clip from a Business Insider video by Graham Flanagan. And it would let you watch first-run movies still playing in theaters in the comfort of your own home. It would cost $150 for a set-top box. After that, each movie would cost $50 a piece, which includes two additional tickets to actually see the movie in theaters after you screen it at home. The screening room idea is making waves in the industry, and it doesn't even exist yet. From producers to podcasters and even actors are getting in on the conversation. I don't know if you've seen, but Sean Parker is trying to promote this new thing called the screening room, where it'd give people the chance to watch new blockbusters at home. It's, been, it's, been, it's been endorsed by like Spielberg and yeah, stuff. Yeah, but right? also yeah. James Cameron and Christopher Nolan have said it's not a good idea. People at home, if I understand it right, on the day it's released in the cinema will be out if they pay a subscription to this streaming site. This is a clip with actors Taron Egerton, made famous with his starring role in The Kingsman, and Hugh Jackman of X-Men's Wolverine fame. This video is from the website Metro, a UK-based news and entertainment site. The video is part of Taron and Hugh's press junket tour for Eddie the Eagle. And can I just say, I always find it fascinating to hear Aussie actors speaking with their regular voices after I get to know them as their on-screen personalities. I never would have guessed this was Hugh Jackman if I just heard it on a podcast. Anyway, back to the clip. They will be able to watch it on the same day it's released in cinemas. My concern about it is that I feel... um, So you know at 11 o'clock at night and a movie comes on BBC Two, even if you have it on your DVD shelf, you want to watch it... And I think the reason that is is because it's about shared experience. You know someone else is watching it somewhere in the world. 
I think that there is something that happens when you watch a piece of live theatre or cinema that is about a, a, a collective group of people watching it that enhances your emotional response to it. My concern about something like that is it isolates you as a viewer, whereas I think your response is heightened by the fact you're experiencing it with other people. This idea of business at the theatre being threatened by home entertainment is by no means new. It happened as far back as the mid-20th century when television started to become popular. It happened when home theaters became more popular and HD content was increasing. Most recently, it's been happening with Netflix and Amazon's assault on the movie business, particularly this year as they've been buying up film releases left and right. Many believe that the reason Beasts of No Nation didn't get any Academy Award love this year, despite dynamite performances by Idris Elba and the star Abraham Atta, is due to the fact that it was released simultaneously both online and in theaters. But I don't think the issue is as simple as whether or not people are willing to pay $150 for a device and $50 a pop for a movie. I think there's a larger issue at hand here. And that is the need for theaters to draw in audiences and offer newer experiences that make it worth paying the ever-increasing ticket prices. And Wolverine agrees with me. Take Eddie the Eagle. Right, it's right. random yeah, choice. Yeah. Do you not think that it's more fun to watch that movie with a group of people? 100%. But I'm also a parent with two kids, and not every parent with two kids is getting a babysitter to go to the movies. Okay, so, that's but they a may, good point. Yeah. But they may okay. want to watch it with their wife or friend at home. The kids are in bed and go, oh, I've heard this is great opening weekend. So what happens to cinema then as a kind of as an experience as a result of that? Does we it... as, as filmmakers have to give people a reason to go to the cinema. Like it has to, because there's so much good stuff, Netflix or whatever, there's really good TV drama that now we have to give it, like Eddie has all this stuff, it'd be a shame to see it on your TV because you miss that sense of what it's really like to do a jump. I remember back in the day when adult tickets were six bucks and a matinee was three fifty. I even remember dollar fifty matinee show theaters. And I hazard to guess some of you within the sound of my voice remember even lower ticket prices. Nowadays you can pay as much as fifteen bucks for a regular ticket and closer to twenty for IMAX. Multiply that by four to six family members, plus hot dogs, popcorn and candy, and a family can easily spend close to, if not more than $100 just to see a 90-minute family film. But if Sean's experience in the music industry is any indication, theater chains and studios need to be thinking about how to handle the changing times due to the technological landscape. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with the Artistic and Program Director for the Northwest Film Forum, Courtney Sheehan. The NWFF is a nonprofit organization here in Seattle that celebrates independent film. In addition to a venue, they have workshops, ongoing classes, and social mixers. Courtney is a relatively young mover and shaker that has implemented some tremendous changes at NWFF. I had a wonderful discussion with her about this topic and her thoughts on the state of the movie theater going experience. And that is what this episode is all about. I'm Ron Dawson, and this is Radio Film School Short Ends. Cineplex v. Living Room. What is it going to take to bring those audiences back or to make movie experiences something that people feel like they have to go to the theater? Sure. 
So I think about this from a very particular perspective because Northwest Film Forum is not like a typical exhibitor in that we really don't show any quasi-commercial product. We're very independent, so we're on a different scale and in some ways our smaller size allows us to be more uh, adaptable and uh, creatively flexible in this shifting climate for uh, distributor-exhibitor relationships. So for me... Uh, I have this slogan that's like eventizing with substance, which is to say that I build out an experience around a film, but it doesn't have to do with a lot of the trends that you see right now in exhibition around sing-alongs, quote-alongs, shoot-alongs, heckle-vision, smell-o-vision, all these things that are popular and fun and like totally legitimate ways of um, incentivizing audiences to come out because you can't have that experience at home. But what I'm more interested in doing here is thinking about reinventing the role that the movie theater has in both the audience's experience of film and also the release life of films themselves. So for me, it's not a matter of convincing people like, this is why you should want to see this movie in a theater. It's a matter of convincing people, this, these are all the different things that you can come here and do now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where having, for example a live show that activates our entire venue and takes place in both of the theaters, the hallways, the lobby, you know, and circulates people around the building. It's a completely immersive experience that has film integrated into it. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, having a community conversation around a topical issue that affects them in their daily lived lives and putting that in the theater space and using the screen to project media related to that topic and that might have a cinematic component to it is another thing that I'm really interested in doing. So I have basically adapted the calendar that we have of programming to reflect increasingly this kind of content. At the same time, unlike many exhibitors, I do not have any problems with the thought of people watching movies at home oh interesting or on whatever size of device i don't care i i do it everybody does it it's not a you know sacrilege to the art of cinema to do it it's a different experience the experience of watching a film in a theater with people around you is a wonderful thing that should and will continue to happen but it's on us as exhibitors to find ways to adapt and remain relevant and useful to the culture of movie watching and movie going by trying new things and different things that work in alignment with how people are also consuming content at home. No, that's very smart. I like, and and, and the comments you make are actually in line with another topic that we're um, you're going to be discussing on the show soon, which is the state of uh, the modern independent art house you know you have these huge cineplexes that have 20 some odd screens and imax and whatnot and um what is you know can the what's the future of the independent art house you know with the cineplexes i mean even i would assume you know based on what i was saying earlier like even cineplexes are uh in a new era with digital technology and whatnot but you know in your thoughts, in your experience, you know, what is 
what's the state what's what's the state and what's the future yeah so i just returned from art house convergence which is an annual conference of art house theaters from across the country that takes place right before sundance there's also a lot of distributors there as well and if you go around and talk to people there you're going to get a lot of different answers as you can imagine to this question because there's uncertainty and of course nobody really knows what's going to happen there are a spectrum of opinions but there are two extreme camps on either side one says we're screwed the internet has done us in netflix etc it's over or it's a matter of time the other end of the spectrum and this is where more people are invested in in falling into this camp say you know this is we've seen this before art house exhibition has always been a struggle there have always been challenges it's cyclical when television entered the world people thought well this will kill movie going because people will just watch things at home but now that original tv generation the boomers are the main art house audience hmm. again in the 70s and 80s with advent of home video people said this is going to kill movie going and it didn't and so there's a lot of contentions that similarly today we're just experiencing a dip and we'll be back on the rise um and of course you know you also have these figures like you know hollywood had its best revenue year to date last year but that was by a small margin and it has much more to do with the inflation of ticket prices than it does with the number of people mm. going to see movies. So in terms of where I fall along that spectrum, what is going to happen overall looks different in the different markets that you're in. There's a lot of talk about how the movie theater, the art house theater has to cement itself in the community that it's a part of so that people see it as a dispensable institution. This is like, you know, the same way in which the neighborhood bookstores that have survived are the ones that are beloved, like Elliott Bay books that like people can't imagine not having, but that you really you can't sustain, you know, multiple uh such places in in you know the current world so that's one thing that will happen is art houses will have to shore up their significance in the cities or towns where they are but personally i'm just more interested in experimenting with the new things that you can do in the theater space so i'm in some ways less invested in the future of traditional theatrical film exhibition in art house theaters than I am in fiddling with new ideas and ways to bring people in that are not anchored to theatrical tri- you know exhibition at all you know this whole idea of brick and mortar versus you know cyberspace is interesting uh, uh, a, a few months ago I was shooting a video for a client and uh, they were interviewing, it was an agency who was interviewing this, it's right here in Seattle, this woman who started this business. It's a brick and mortar clothing store. And she used to be in charge of distribution at 
at uh, Amazon. And she has like a PhD in math or something. She's from Russia. She's like this brilliant lady. And so she's created this brick and mortar clothing store in the world where we have Amazon, where you can have same day delivery of stuff that you order online. And uh, she talks about how the in-person experience is still something that buying something online you can never get like trying on shoes or whatnot and she and how she's created this combination between a technology experience where you come in you use the app to kind of pick stuff um, and then something from the back of the store shoots down the things that you pick so you can actually try it on um, do you foresee anything like that in the theater Absolutely. world and people are definitely playing with that in various ways I actually spoke on a panel that I proposed for the Art House Convergence called VOD IRL. It was a case study of an event that we did here with uh, Lynn Shelton's first feature, We Go Way Back. We showed it on the day that it debuted on Fandor, which is an SVOD company. So the very same day that you could watch it at home online, we played it in the theater. And typically, a theater would not want to t broadcast that fact to audiences. They, you know, heard people to only come to the theater to see the film. But we embraced it, and we built out an event around this, and we partnered with Fandor to present it. And it represents an interest that I have in integrating the kind of O-to-O, online-to-offline uh, strategies you see a lot in marketing, but thinking that we can increasingly scaffold programming infrastructure around that as well. So we basically showed the film in the theater, and ironically, we showed a 35-millimeter print, so it was by no means VOD in real life. Uh, and at the same time, we encouraged audiences at home to watch from all over to watch the film online, which was very exciting for Lynn because this film of hers, her first feature, had never been available in home video. And people had asked, her fans had been asking her for years, how will I get to see this? And frequently on Twitter. So we were able to, through that channel that reaches a lot more people than could ever come to our theater, um, from all over the country to encourage them to watch it. Then, at the end of the film, we had a Q&A with Lynn, and we periscoped it so people could watch it at home, and we invited people to tweet in questions from home that we incorporated into the Q&A. So it was about merging those realms of experience around a film and finding a way for, and this harkens back to what I was saying about reinventing the theater's role in the release life of a film, because VOD companies need to bring attention to their titles as well. And that's part of their biggest dilemma right now is cutting through the noise and especially for smaller titles and things that aren't instantly on Netflix, how are their biggest problem right now is getting users to be driven to their sites or to their platforms. So this was an incredibly valuable thing to the SVOD company. And it's a way for the theater to demonstrate that it can adapt and play a new role in uh, distribution of film as well. Will screening room be the death knell for movie theaters? I don't think so. First of all, who knows if it'll even get off the ground. But regardless, technology is changing not only how we make movies, but how and when we watch them as well. 
and theaters will have to respond to the changing times. There is no denying the fact that theaters already recognize the need to adapt and provide better experiences. Dine-in theater is where you can go and have dinner and drinks while you watch a movie in a recliner have been growing in popularity. In Los Angeles and New York, assigned seating has become a sought-after feature at theaters. I admire program directors like Courtney who, instead of whining and declaring that the sky is falling, instead are thinking fast on their feet, adapting to the times, and making new experiences worth seeing in person. But I gotta say, and this just may be me being nostalgic, I don't think there's anything like opening weekend for a huge blockbuster movie like Star Wars or The Avengers or insert your favorite Disney-owned super mega blockbusting franchise here. Where you and a thousand other hyped up fans wait in the dark in anticipation for that familiar studio logo, that opening scene, and that exhilarating cinematic fanfare, then scream like maniacs when you hear... Radio Film School is a production of Daredreamer FM. This episode was written and produced by me, Chris Huslidge, is the show's co-producer. Music was curated from freemusicarchive.org. Links to tracks are in the show notes. We're supported in part by Muse Storytelling by Still Motion. Muse is the patent painting process that has helped Still Motion go from shooting weddings to shooting Fortune 500 executives and winning five Emmys a process they are teaching all over the world and now you can learn and experience it from the comfort of your own home. No multi-screen cineplex is required. They have a new course called How to Conduct Remarkable Interviews. Go to learnstory.org and use the offer code INTERVIEW to save $48, nearly one-third off the regular price. But to get that deal, you need to be one of the first 50 people to do so. So go to learnstory.org right now and sign up. We're still on our special episode schedule, so next week we're going to have my full uncut interview with YouTube channel sensation Rocket Jump Film School's Dean of Education, Lauren Haratunian. If you like our show, please leave us a rating and review in iTunes. I know there's someone listening right now who's been thinking about doing it, but just haven't gotten around to it. Well, today is the day you can change all of that. Go into iTunes, click that write a review link, then rate and write a review. It really does help the show, and it would mean the world to me. You can follow me on Twitter at DareDreamerFM, and you can follow the show at Radio Film School. Go to Facebook.com slash Radio Film School, and let us know what you think of Screening Room and what you think theater should do about it. That's all for now. Until next week, remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>